Well, we have begun a new year, and that always makes me very optimistic and forward-looking. One of my virtues and my vices is that I tend to be forward-looking rather than, than backward-facing. And, and so I'm excited about what lies ahead, and I hopefully you are excited about what is coming, what God has in store in 2020, because the people of God always have reason to be optimistic, because we know how the story ends. However, I do want to briefly dampen your spirits this morning, and, and I will apologize for that, but I do have good purpose. I want you to think for a moment about the worst thing you've ever done. And you will not have to say it out loud, so you can be honest with yourself. What is the worst thing you've ever done? All right, think about whatever it is that has left you with the most guilt or shame, or pain for having done it. Think carefully. Think about what made it so awful. Perhaps it was the betrayal of a close relationship, or a denial of your faith, or something that drove you to hurt someone. Perhaps it was a crime committed, or a, a moral or ethical failure. Or perhaps it was simply a terrible mistake that was caused by ignorance or negligence. I want you to briefly replay it in your mind. Think about whom did you hurt? How did it hurt you? What was the aftermath? Has there been a resolution? Or is this still an ongoing wound or, or, or an ongoing problem in your life? And I want you to hold on to this for, for just a few minutes as we begin to, to dig into God's Word this morning. Before we do, I just want to remind again that at Lake Ridge Baptist Church, we are a lighthouse for Christ at the corner of Clipper and Mariner. And we exist to shine the light of Jesus Christ into the neighborhoods that surround us. And this year we are called to shine that light brighter than ever before. Shine Brighter is our emphasis for the entire year of 2020, and we are inspired by this promise of 2 Corinthians 3.18, that as we gaze deeply at the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, that we are progressively transformed by the Holy Spirit into His image. We all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Now we will be unpacking what it looks like to shine brighter, both individually and as a church, all throughout 2020, but we begin the year with a look at, at those few individuals that Jesus singles out for praise, where there is something about their lives, their, their behavior that He praises. And last week we encountered a foreign soldier who was praised for his extraordinary faith. And we, we talked about how to grow our faith this year. And if you were not here, hopefully we'll get the sermon posted online soon because I encourage you to ask God to grow your faith in 2020. But today we consider the remarkable story of a woman who is known only, and this is, I think, in many ways it's, kind of, it's very sad. We, she is known only to us as a sinner. And her story is found in Luke chapter 7, verses 36 
through 50. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment, and standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears, and wiped them with the hair of her head, and kissed his feet, and anointed them with the ointment. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answering him said, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors. One owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. But she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss. But from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven. For she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. This is an incredibly rich story that addresses many topics, including the divinity of Christ, his power to forgive sins, the topic of salvation by faith. But those will not be what we focus on this morning. Today we focus on what it is about this woman that Jesus praises, which is her overwhelming love for him. I urge everyone here to learn from this woman and to fall more deeply in love with Jesus. The story of a sinful woman's overwhelming love for Jesus begins with him having been invited to dinner in the home of a local religious leader named Simon. And this was a relatively formal meal, which meant in those days that, that the guests would recline. They would lie on their sides around a low table, and their feet would point away from the dinner table. And a local woman who is known to us only as a sinner heard that Jesus was there. It would appear that as far as the world cared, this woman was literally nothing more than this dreadful label, a sinner. That seems to be all anyone in that group thought of her as. That is all we know her as, a sinner. Yet she came and began to tend to Jesus' feet. Now Israel is a dry and dusty land, and, and when you walk around all day in sandals, it makes your feet quite dirty. It is very hard for us to imagine in our 
ultra hygienic, antibacterial, modern world. But this woman begins washing Jesus' feet with her own tears. We don't even know why she's crying. Is she crying tears of brokenness and sorrow for her condition and the fact that that literally the only way anyone ever thinks of her is as a sinner? Is she crying tears of repentance for the sin that has marked her life? Is she crying tears of joy for the encounter with Jesus and for the faith and the hope and the forgiveness that she's found in Him? We simply don't know why she's crying. And yet she is crying enough to wash Jesus' feet with tears. Scrubbing them, drying them with her hair. Now in those days, for a woman to let her hair down in public was shameful. Washing feet was shameful. Rubbing them with ointment and kissing them was shameful. And so this woman's love and care for Jesus was deeply shameful and publicly embarrassing and humiliating, and yet she didn't care because she simply loved Jesus that much. Now Simon, the Pharisee, being a self-righteous, proper, good sort of person, resented this woman's behavior. I'm sure it was more than a little awkward. And so in verse 39, he says to himself, well, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who's touching him, for she is a sinner. You see, like many proper religious folks back then and today, Simon was very confident that a good, godly person should never get that close to a sinner. And so to him, that meant Jesus couldn't be a prophet because he obviously didn't know what a famous sinner this woman was. This is where Jesus responds to Simon's unspoken thoughts, demonstrating that, in fact, he is a prophet, for he makes it absolutely clear he is well aware of this woman's past. And he makes it absolutely clear that he will interact closely with sinners because that is why he is here. So to help explain this situation to Simon, Jesus tells a brief parable about someone who loaned money to two people. To the first, he loaned 500 denarii, roughly a year and a half salary. So think of it in that terms for yourself. A year and a half salary loaned to person number one. Now to person number two, he loaned 50 denarii, about a month and a half salary. Still a lot of money, but we are clearly saying it's nothing like what he loaned to the first person. Now neither individual could pay their debt back. Rather than prosecuting them, punishing them, throwing them in jail as he could have, the lender canceled both debts. And so Jesus asked Simon, now which of them will love him more? Both had been released from unpayable burdens of debt, right? Neither of them could afford to pay back what they owed, but one was freed from ten times more than the other. Each of them had received an undeserved gift. But the gift to the one was far greater than the gift to the other. And so verse 43 reports, Simon answered, The one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Jesus then contrasts Simon, this proper Pharisee who thought he had it all together in his life, thought he had it all figured out, 
with this sinful woman who knew in her heart that she absolutely did not have it figured out. That she did not have anything together in her life. And he compares the cold hospitality of Simon's house to the overwhelming love and adoration of this sinful woman with no name. Do you see this woman? I entered your house, you gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Each of the failures that are being raised on Simon's part represented a typical act of hospitality in that time. And the point is, Simon offered nothing. No water to clean Jesus' dusty feet. No traditional kiss of welcome into his house. And no dab of olive oil on the head as a blessing and a, and a relief from the hot sun of Israel. Simon showed little love for Jesus because he was the debtor forgiven very little and loving very little. And the woman, of course, is the debtor who loved much because she was well aware of how much she owed. She was deeply aware of how broken and sinful she was and how helpless she was to get out of that sin. And so because of her faith in Jesus, all of her many sins were completely forgiven, as verses 47 and 48 and 50 report. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he who is forgiven little loves little, and he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you, go in peace. Because she was forgiven so much by Jesus, she loved him enormously and didn't care that her expression of love was deeply and publicly embarrassing, even humiliating. What Jesus says about her is profoundly beautiful. She loved much. And I pray that all of us who follow Jesus would love him much. See, our challenge is to muster within ourselves a love for Jesus like this sinful woman had. The challenge is for us to love much. And we need to be honest with ourselves here, right? We, we, most of us here would say, yeah, we love Jesus. But often our love can be cold and abstract like Simon's. We can, we, we can like Jesus. We can admire Jesus, we could praise Jesus, we could proclaim Jesus, we could intellectually love Jesus, and yet still not be filled with this overwhelming love for Him. Like this sinful woman. And I think it's because we forget how much we have been forgiven. We can be faithful followers of Christ and yet fail to truly and deeply love Him and I don't want that for us. I want each of us, no matter how deeply we already love Jesus, to fall more deeply in love with Him. Jesus is infinitely good and kind and merciful and wise and gracious and loving and righteous and holy and just and powerful and knowledgeable and patient and faithful and forgiving. So there is always more to love about Him we can always fall more deeply in love with Jesus.
but how? I would say that in many ways, though not every way, the Bible directs us to do very much the same things we do when we are falling more deeply in love with a person. See, there are things we can do that lead us to love Jesus more deeply as the woman did. And these are things that if we neglect to do them, our love for Jesus will inevitably grow cold like Simon's was. And so I want to highlight five ways, and I'm sure there are more, but I want to highlight five ways to fall more deeply in love with Jesus. First, think about Jesus often. When we are deeply in love with people, we think about them often, don't we? Right? Can't help ourselves, really. Well, likewise, we need to think about Jesus often. Make time each day to specifically reflect on what he's done for you and who he really is. And this is a pattern we see throughout Scripture, and particularly in the Psalms and in the letters of the New Testament. And And it begins by deeply embracing the reality that we have all done vile things that went against God's good and holy will for human flourishing. And for some of us, that sin is obvious to the watching world. We are like this woman and everyone knows, oh, I know what their sin is. But for many others, we successfully in church life wear a a mask of respectability in public so that very few people know what really lurks inside us. And that is why I asked you at the beginning, when you weren't expecting it, to remember the worst thing you've ever done. We need to reflect on everything that we've ever done in our lives, including lying, cheating, stealing, whether it is possessions or relationships or glory, sexual immorality, cruelty and uncontrolled anger, addiction, manipulation, gossip and slander, and and so much more. And I want to encourage you, don't just think about your actions, but think about your hateful words and think about your ungodly thoughts. You see, even when we put up that good show in public and we have actions that are deeply disciplined and godly, many of us struggle with uncontrolled words or deeply rebellious thoughts. Consider what Matthew 5.22 says, But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Does that strike a chord with anybody who has to battle daily traffic around here and office politics and and, uh, you know, social media or the inconveniences of life? See, no matter how together we like to think we are, we are all deeply sinful and rebellious against God left to our own devices. There is nothing we can do on our own to get out of that sin because there is nothing we can do on our own to stop sinning. We might be able to control our weak and easily tempted bodies most of the time. 
We might even manage to restrain our vile and poisonous tongues most of the time. But it is incredibly hard to control our restless minds. We cannot save ourselves from our sins, and, and, and these would hopelessly separate us from God forever if it were not for Jesus Christ. See, Jesus, the Son of God, the one we see forgiving this woman's sins, forgives our sins because He paid the penalty for them by dying on the cross. And His sacrifice, which we will remember soon as when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, established a new covenant between sinful mankind and our holy and perfect God and is a covenant built on grace, on God's unearned gift of forgiveness and eternal life that comes through faith in Jesus alone. See, the truth is, we are all the sinful woman. We are sinful women and men, sinful boys and girls. But Jesus offers us forgiveness for everything, no matter how bad it is, whether we owe 500 denarii or whether we owe 50. When we trust in Jesus Christ, we are saved by God's grace through faith. And so to fall more deeply in love with Jesus, we need to think about this glorious truth often. We need to think about what Jesus has forgiven in us, what He has saved us from, and what it, what it cost Him in terms of pain and agony, both physical and spiritual. And so as you think about these things, marvel at the beauty and extravagance of, God, of Jesus' love and grace towards you personally. The Lord's Supper proclaims that Jesus forgives us through His body broken and His blood poured out for us. And so we regularly celebrate the Lord's Supper to fall more deeply in love with Jesus. Second. Read what Jesus wrote to you. Again, there is a clear human analogy here. When we are in love with someone, we eagerly read everything they write, email, text, Snapchat, private messenger, on and on and on. However they communicate, we're, we're lapping it up. And so to love much and to fall more deeply in love with Jesus, we need to be just as eager to read what He wrote as we are to read those of someone we're in love with here on earth. We need to realize that the entire Bible, not just those words colored in red, were written by the Spirit of Jesus Christ. All Scripture from Genesis to Revelation is inspired by the Holy Spirit. It is written for you and me. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 and 21 says, No prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is called throughout Scripture the Spirit of Christ. So to fall more deeply in love with Jesus, read part of what He wrote to you every day. And I get, it can be hard to understand but it gets easier the more you read. I get that it takes time each day, and time is the most precious treasure we own in Northern Virginia, far more than money. And you might have to start getting up earlier in the morning as I had to do many years ago. 
But would you do it for someone you were, were in love with as an earthly love? Yes, you would. So do it for Jesus. If you need a daily reading plan, and everyone needs a daily reading plan of some sort, because if we're just randomly reading, eventually we will stop. So if you need a daily reading plan because you don't have one, there are three in the back and a pamphlet and a basket on the table. And choose one and stick with it. As you read each day, you're going to see all that Jesus has done for you. And guess what? Much bigger than you, all that Jesus has done for the world. And day by day, you will fall more deeply in love with him. Third, talk to Jesus regularly. How do we deepen love in our human relationships? We talk to those we love. We talk to them for hours and the time flies by and we get lost in the... Well, the same is true for our relationship with Jesus. And it's called praying. And prayer is not about formal, flowery language like you would use when you're asking your boss for a raise. It's about talking regularly with your Father in heaven and your brother Jesus. So pray daily and throughout each day, which is what Paul means when he says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. And in your prayers, honestly confess your sins that have, that have taken place since your last chat. And be specific so that you realize what Jesus continues to do for you and how much he still loves you despite the awful ways you've messed up yet again. And I want to be clear, we don't do this, right? I sound negative today. I'm being kind of, I feel kind of negative, but I'm not. It's not to wallow in the past. It's not to beat ourselves up endlessly over the same things. Because that denies the work that Jesus did on the cross. But it is to be aware of and to ask for and be thankful for God's faithful forgiveness through Jesus Christ. And the knowledge that when we do ask for God's forgiveness through Jesus Christ, He gives it every single time, as 1 John 1.9 promises, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So give thanks for what He has done and love much. Fourth, talk about Jesus regularly. And again, think about how much you talk about the people you love, whether it's boyfriends, girlfriends, fiancés, spouses, kids, and grandkids. Right? When we are in love with someone, we just will not shut up, and we do not care how annoying we are. We are usually not even aware how annoying we are. But if we are, we don't care very much. We love talking about the people we love, and when we do talk about the people we love, it deepens our love for them. And so we need to talk about Jesus that way. Not because it's a command, which it is, but because we love Him. The more we talk about Him, the more excited we get about Him, the more deeply we fall in love with Him. 1 Peter 3.15 describes this as always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. You do it with gentleness and respect. And finally, worship Jesus passionately. Now this is where our comparison to human relationships should end. Because we're not supposed to be worshiping anyone here on earth. 
Though in truth, we actually do that quite often. We just don't notice. In truth, many of our ugliest relationship problems exist because we functionally worship or expect to be able to worship someone we love here on earth, yet they disappoint us and all kinds of bad things happen, but that is a, that is a rich topic for another day. We realize we are here to worship Jesus. We are to worship Jesus with all of our heart and soul and mind and strength, with every part of our being. We should worship Jesus when we gather together each week, and then we should worship Him privately throughout the week. We should give voice to our love for Jesus in prayer and song and be encouraged by the love that is expressed by those around us. And so if you want to fall more deeply in love with Jesus, don't sit back in your chair during worship. Lean forward. Don't review your to-do list or your grocery list during prayer. Pray along. Don't stand like a statue for a song. Throw yourself into it and sing no matter how noisy your joyful noise is. Don't inspect the inside of your eyelids during the sermon. Instead, marvel at the beauty of your beloved Jesus Christ proclaimed. And as you do, your love will deepen over weeks and months and years. Now, on that note of growing and worshiping, I just want to, to highlight that if you have a desire to help us all grow in our worship, whether it is by singing or playing an instrument or serving behind the scenes with our technical crew, I want to encourage you to come here Wednesday night at 7.30 and let us know how you'd like to get involved or perhaps like to get involved. Because there is a place for you to help us all worship better. Likewise, how do we fall in love with Jesus? We celebrate what he does. We talk about what he does. We get involved in what he does. So I just want to remind you that next Sunday, right after church, don't leave. Bring your crockpots of chili and take them down that way. Eat chili. We will celebrate all that God has done in 2019, all that God has in store in 2020, and highlight some ways that we can turn our passion into action. And in the process of doing so, you will find your love deepen. Friends, it can be terribly easy to be grateful to Jesus for what he's done and to get your life into a fair degree of order and respectability as far as the world is concerned, and yet still be living a sinful life in your heart and mind and in the privacy of your own home. And it's awfully easy to be satisfied with the progress you have made through Christ and give thanks to him and yet not be passionately in love with him. And I guarantee you that when we do, when we are living this way, when we are cold in our love like Simon, we are missing out on so much that Jesus offers. And so as a new year dawns, let yourself fall more deeply in love with Jesus. Seek to fall more deeply in love with Jesus and do whatever you can to fall more deeply in love with Jesus this year because He is worthy of all our love. Please pray with me.
Father God, we are so aware of our weakness, our frailty, our tendency to fall into that which does not please you. Lord, translate that not into an ability to blot that out from our memory, but rather an awareness of what Jesus has done for us. That rather than those things being blotted from our memory, those have been blotted from your book of accounts, that our sins have been washed away. That in Christ, our debts have been canceled. Lord God, help us each to realize that we have been forgiven much. As we are preparing our hearts to gather around the Lord's table, help us realize how much it cost that we have been forgiven much. And help us to love much. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.